I have two prompts for you. First, the world we live in runs on what? What would you say? Love? Sorry, the correct answer is money. Think about it. You need money in order to feed and clothe yourself to have a place to live. It takes money to fuel your dreams. And when you have money, you also have the luxury of being able to believe that the world we live in runs on love. Second prompt. The ultimate goal of any company from a financial standpoint is to maximize value for who? Today's guest is Dr. Brian Walkup. We're going to learn more about him and financial management, and we'll have an answer for that second prompt. Stay with us. Welcome to Karma Connections podcast series. I'm your host, JB Adams. In this series, I'm talking with members of the Crummer community and inviting them to share their accomplishments, challenges, and best career and business advice. Today's show is brought to you by the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. Consistently ranked as the number one MBA in the state of Florida, the Crummer School offers a variety of educational programs to prepare you to become a global, innovative, and responsible business leader. The Crummer Graduate School of Business, experience excellence. Today's guest is Dr. Brian Walkup, Associate Professor of Finance at the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. He holds a PhD in finance from the University of Florida and an MBA from the Crummer School. He teaches financial management and applied financial management, which some of you may remember as the intense financial course that had the simulation in it. I, I remember taking that course. His primary research interests are in the areas of corporate finance, such as payout policy, initial public offerings, mergers and acquisitions, and the intersection between sports and finance. Dr. Walkup, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Me too. Uh, I want to start with your specialty. So finance is a topic that not everybody understands right away. So I, I just want you to help break it down and make it more approachable to our listeners. What are some of the common mistakes that you think business leaders make in their approach to finance? Yeah, so I think the answer to that varies pretty significantly with the, the size of the business, the industry they're in, a lot of different factors. But I think uh, one of the most common things I would say that I see is um, not necessarily making decisions that are in the best interest of their shareholders or stakeholders. Uh, so the ultimate goal of the firm from a financial standpoint is to maximize the value of the owners or the shareholders if it's publicly traded. And so uh, often we'll see firms make decisions that are more focused on growth and not necessarily growth that generates value, right? So there's a difference between taking on a project purely to grow revenue and to become larger and taking on a project because it generates revenue that trickles down to the bottom line and creates uh, bottom line value for their shareholders. So I think that would be one of the most common mistakes I'd see. So let me let me see if I'm interpreting this correctly. Um, the mistake would be if we're just focused on being greedy and making a lot of money for ourselves really fast versus how do we help our customers solve a problem by bringing value to them through our products and services. And if we focus on that, then the profits will just naturally follow. Yeah, so I think that's kind of a, a slightly different take on the same response. So from that perspective, it'd be looking at the difference between short term value creation and long-term value creation, right? So when a shareholder values a share, if we want to think from the publicly traded firm perspective, 
they're really looking at the present value of all future cash flows of the firm. And a lot of times uh, management might focus too much on the immediate term um, cash flows and value creation. So it's really easy, well, maybe not really easy, but it's easier to maximize next period's earnings than it is to maximize the net of all future period's earnings. So uh, we could cut corners and cut the quality of our product and increase margins, which sounds great short term because it trickles down for next period, but it's going to have long-term ripple effects that are going to have negative ramifications on the future periods for the firm. Uh, so firms really need to be looking at not just the short-term impact, but the long-term impact. Um, and that is what trickles all the way down to, to the full shareholder value. And sometimes we actually can run into issues where there's a misalignment of incentives that can actually drive upper management to make more short-term focused um, decisions because we might have bonuses or other goals that are created around this period's market share, this period's revenues, or this period's EBIT, uh, or even if it's the next two or three periods, we can make decisions that help benefit those short-term periods, but at the expense of the long-term health of the firm financially. And, and do you think that's sometimes because the managers of the firm are more beholden to what I would call the uh, the anxious investor, sometimes investors lose patience and they say, I'm not getting enough return, I'm gonna put my money somewhere else versus the investors who are saying, I'm gonna be this in this for the long haul, a little bit of return or a little bit of growth is enough to satisfy me. Absolutely, yeah, so there's um, definitely a balance there between, um, again, being able to report really good earnings for this period or really good forecast for the next couple periods, which is the easiest thing to put the most focus on versus I think there are a lot of investors that recognize the long-term impacts and that that's really what's going to drive the the full valuation of the firm. But it is a lot easier to focus on the short-term results rather than um, the, the full picture of the entire long-term timeline. Fascinating topic, um, and we could talk about it more. But what we're going to do right now is we're going to shift gears a little bit. Um, this is an opportunity to get to know you a little bit better. We're going to learn about your backstory and uh, and your early business inf influences. So let's just start with, give us an idea of where you were born and raised and what generation you identify with. Okay, so I was born and raised in uh, Venice, Florida, which for those of you that aren't familiar with it, it's about an hour south of Tampa on the Gulf side of Florida. If you've never been, it's a beautiful place, great beaches, uh, but very much a retirement community. So I think outside of the villages, which is a city based fully around a retirement community, I believe Venice has the oldest average population. Um, it's a you know kind of a sleepy town where they roll the streets up about nine o'clock for most people, but a great place to grow up. Um, I loved um, being raised there. And um, I would say that I, am a part of the millennial generation, but the very early stages of the millennials. So I think if you look, generally it is either 1980 or 1981 is considered the start of the millennials. And I was born in 1982, okay. but I've, I've seen some articles and I would tend to agree that the millennials to some degree need to be split into maybe two subsections. Um, because those of us that were born on the early side of the millennial generation, technology was very different. So computers were starting to become more prevalent in homes, but we had dial up through AOL. And I still right. remember the, <laughs> the screeching noise and the slow downloads and everything else. Um, and then as we were getting into our college age was when 
um, smartphones and things were becoming more prevalent. And so I think we had uh, childhoods that were less technologically driven. I've, I mean, I had a PlayStation and everything else, but you know, we didn't we didn't have information quite at the ready the way the later stages of the millennials did. And so I think there's a break between the two groups just based on um, how technology helped impact their childhood. It changes very quickly. Um, so let's talk about some early business influences. You had some uh, sort of business role models of a sort. Absolutely. So I come from a very entrepreneurial family. So my grandfather um, actually started out um, in construction. And um, after moving to Florida, he quickly realized that there was shortages of porta potties available for construction sites. And so as a good entrepreneurial mind does when they recognize a, a need in the market and something that can be filled, he started a porta potty business called Little John. And so they provided um, outdoor portable restrooms for construction sites and other needs and started out small and grew it into a very large company that I, I believe at the end of the day was bought out by waste management. Uh, and then my father kind of took the reins uh, as an entrepreneur as well. And so through the porta potty business, um, at, at one point they determined that it was actually ideal to start building the porta potties themselves exactly. rather than buying them externally, which got my dad into the fiberglass business. And so my dad um, was very helpful with my grandfather in starting uh, to build the porta potties. And after my grandfather sold the business, he started a fiberglass business where he would make um, outdoor patio furniture. A lot of Floridians obviously have fiber or at least used to have fiberglass patio furniture. Um, and growing up in a coastal town in Florida, um, I believe it was one of his classmates from high school began what's called zap skimboards. So skimboarding is similar to surfing, but more along the coast with a smaller board. And so as zap skimboards was um, in its infancy, they had my dad create some of their original fiberglass uh, skimboards. And then over time, he transitioned to owning a automotive um, and boat battery business. So providing uh, car batteries and boat batteries for those in the Venice community. And then uh, after selling off both of those businesses, he um, started a charter bus company. So um, again, kind of filling a need. So my, my family's hobby is antique cars. Oh. And my, my dad had a, I believe it was a 1950s fire truck that had been converted into a multiple, multiple passenger bus in the back. And he would do tours around Venice, especially during the holidays to look at Christmas lights. And people kept saying, you know, we really have a need for bus rentals and not just old antique buses, you know, for for um, youth groups and high school trips and things of that are around the Venice community. And so he started a charter bus business um, that he grew up into um, a very nice, respectable company in the Venice area. And my brother recently took it over and is kept keeping that in the family as well. So I have a, a strong entrepreneurial background. Tell me what you learned by watching entrepreneurs. So I, I, I want to sort of express an assumption. Your dad was an entrepreneur. Your grandfather was an entrepreneur. Did they put you to work? Did you have a job on the weekends or in the evenings helping out? Or did you just watch? I did. Yeah. So um, I remember hating it, but especially with the charter bus business, they would come back dirty and a lot of times trips would come back late at night. And so we would go down to um, the warehouse area where the buses were stored overnight and we would be down in the buses cleaning out 
trash um, out on the outside of the buses, um, basically you know, giving them a, a car wash, getting them ready for early trips the next morning. Um, and even at a younger age with the, the battery business, I remember spending days at the shop with my, with my dad. Um, at one point he had a space in the back that was rented out to someone who uh, sold bow and arrows and archery equipment. And I remember going through a phase where I got interested in archery. And so um, the, the owner of that business put me to work cleaning his portion of the shop in a, as a way to be able to compensate me to buy my first bow and arrow. Um, and so I was definitely around um, small businesses and understood some of what it took to keep those running and some of the you know, blood, sweat and tears that goes into a, a family owned small business. Yeah, well, I think it's good to put kids to work. Um, what were some of the lessons that you learned by watching these entrepreneurs? So kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, I think one of the big things is just you need to be able to fill a need within the community that your business is going to be, right? So especially if you're starting up as a small local business, there needs to be a need for that uh, product or service in the community. And I think that was something I wasn't around when my grandfather started the porta potty business, but I'm sure he didn't grow up dreaming of porta potties, but he saw a need and he knew he could fill it and successfully. Uh, same thing with my father, um, you know, all three businesses my dad started in each case, there was a need that he recognized and um, he took the risk and there is a definite risk involved with being an entrepreneur and starting your own company. And so um, I saw that that risk taking willingness and the ability to be confident in the, the um, need that you're going to fill in the community. And then once you recognize that and you take the initiative to start it, I think you have to be willing to put in the work. So it's not easy. You need to be willing to work long hours to recognize that there's gonna be some ups and downs uh, of especially the early stages of the business. And um, you also need to be a little bit of a jack of all trades, right? And so my father didn't have a finance PhD, but he had to understand the the basic financial needs of the company and how to fill them and how to be prepared for capital needs moving forward and the things I get to teach in class, but at a very different level. And um, but it wasn't just that he also needed to understand how to market his business, how to have good customer relations, the operations, every single discipline, which now, as an MBA faculty, I think is a unique perspective to have, because while I teach finance, I think one of our biggest goals is to create uh, graduates that understand how all aspects of the business work together. And no one really encompasses that the way an entrepreneur has to, because you have to understand the different aspects. Well, it sounds like those observations from your youth inform your approach to what you teach in class. It also sounds like you didn't enjoy cleaning out buses. So um, when we come back after the break, we get to hear more about your career journey. Um, our guest is Dr. Brian Walkup, and we'll be back in a moment. Hey, listeners, this is Clara Mount, host of VMG's original series, Replay. In the next few weeks, I'll be hosting the Crummer Hour, where we'll invite today's Crummer Connections guests to return so they can respond to questions and comments from the Crummer community. We would love to include your thoughts as well. Send us a question or a comment, and we'll read your name on the air. You can email me at clara at victormediagroup.co. Look for a link in the show notes, and thanks so much. This is JB Adams with an important message. As a member of the Crummer community, you know it's the people that you meet at Crummer who make the greatest difference in your career. So I want to tell you about Rollins Connect. 
It's a networking platform that will help you stay connected to over 40,000 Rollins alumni worldwide. Rollins Connect is coming soon and we'll have more details about it in the coming weeks. That's Rollins Connect, your connection to the Crummer community. Welcome back to Crummer Connections. I am JB Adams. Our guest is Dr. Brian Walkup, Associate Professor of Finance at the Crummer School. Before the break, we were chatting about your early business influences, and now we want to learn more about your professional journey. I always like to say that this is uh, kind of the making of a professor. So um, what would you tell us about your career journey that helped you find your way to being a professor? Yeah, so I definitely didn't start out assuming I would be a finance professor, that's for sure, uh, especially coming from an entrepreneurial background. Um, but I always enjoyed learning in academia. Um, really, my start was with a heavy emphasis on mathematics. So going through elementary school, middle school, high school, it was just something that came relatively naturally to me. I was good with numbers. I remember being in the shopping line with my mom. And as they were ringing up stuff, I would be watching the individual uh, item prices and trying to keep a running tally in my head to see how close I could get to write at the end of uh, her bill. And so I just always enjoyed numbers and calculations. And so um, like a lot of people, I just kept pursuing what I felt like I was good at and I had confidence in. And so as I went into my undergrad, I started as a mathematics major and was doing well through my first um, several uh, upper level courses. But I quickly started realizing that it was very different than what I was used to with math. So as if, if anyone's taken upper level mathematics courses, you get into um, you know, differential equations and linear math, uh, linear calculations, and eventually you get into abstract math. And pretty soon you have no numbers within the course, and you're just doing proofs and derivations and theories. And I was doing fine, but I didn't love it. And so I remember spending a lot of time with my advisor. So uh, I was fortunate to go to a pretty small school where I had a very good relationship with my, the head of the math department, who was my advisor. And we would often have meals together. And I remember sitting down with him and saying, you know, I feel like I'm doing well, but I don't really see what I'm going to do with this when I graduate. I don't really see myself enjoying what the options are. And so what is your advice? And he said, I think just from knowing you really well, because we would have classes of three to four, three or four or five students off, and they were very small. So he knew me very well. He said, given what I've seen from you, I think what you're really missing is the application mm -hmm. of the material. I think you really want to be able to see how the steps you're doing apply to something real. And I said, yes, that's exactly what I'm missing. Uh, and so he said, I, I'd recommend you take some finance courses, some, I think he specifically said business courses, but focus on the finance topics because um, the application will be there and being in finance is still very quantitatively driven. So you'll get to use the skill set you feel comfortable with, but you'll get to see the output that you wanna see, which is how it has a true application to a real decision-making process and has a lasting effect on a group of people, the shareholders and the other stakeholders of the firm. And so I started taking finance courses. Uh, so that was the upside of a very small school. The unfortunate downside was they didn't have a finance major. Uh, so I continued out my math degree and got a finance minor, uh, which luckily then led me to Crummer. So I knew coming out of my undergrad that I didn't have enough business background to get where I wanted to be. And so I sought out the early advantage program at Crummer because uh, I knew that it was crafted specifically for people without as much work experience that wanted to build a business background and do some consulting and build up a, a resume um, 
quickly. And so I started at Crummer back in 2004. Uh, I was a finance and management concentration and took amazing courses with some of the faculty I now get to call colleagues. Mm -hmm. And um, it was exactly what I would, had wanted as far as the application of the material. And so I got an internship at CNL, which is the real estate investment trust firm. So I was very fortunate in that I started with what was called the CNL Lifestyles Group. And so they were of the focus that as baby boomers retired, they would have a lot of money to spend on their retirement. It was a big, large group. And so that was going to shift how money was spent in America. And so while a lot of REITs buy the land underneath strip malls or other um, maybe a little bit less sexy or less uh, fun assets, the Lifestyles Group was buying the land under ski resorts, marinas, golf courses, Harley Davidson dealerships. And so as a young 20 something, it was this great internship that I, I loved and they uh, enjoyed having me on there and were creating a full-time spot for me to stay on when I graduated at Crummer. And so I had kind of just started that transition as I was going through the early spring of my last year. Uh, but I had an itch to stay in academia. And I think a lot of that itch actually started from my Crummer faculty and from my undergraduate faculty as well. So the math advisor that I had that helped steer me was a big part. But uh, I also saw the, the love for what they did amongst the Crummer faculty and how they got to engage with students and see um, applications across all the different businesses their students were in and were going into. And so it really sparked an interest uh, for me to stay in academia and to kind of replicate what they were able to do. And now I feel very fortunate to be to be back here where all that started. All right. I'm, I'm going to summarize and then I'm going to invite you to share your career advice. Okay. You had a glamorous job uh, traveling around to resorts and golf courses and real estate properties. And uh, did you get to drive a company car? I hadn't gotten to that point yet. Okay. All right. But but it, it sounds, as you just said, being a 20-something guy, um, having it, it sounds glamorous to me. It sounds like you got to do a lot of cool stuff at a young age. But um, you chose to set that aside and pursue this academic career. So based on that, because lots of people are listening and saying, what? Why did he do this? What's your career advice? I think you have to find what you're passionate about and what you feel will bring you value out of your career. So um, your career becomes such a large portion of your life, right? We all spend, you know, different people, it's different lengths of times, but 40, 50, 60 years of our life working a large percentage of our week in uh, whatever career we choose. And so you need to be able to do something that you can wake up in the morning and not dread doing and be looking forward to. And while I'm sure I would have loved the travel aspects and everything, and I probably would have had a great career and transitioned into other things that I liked, and who knows, it might have been something I would have never looked back on if I had stayed there as well. I can say with certainty that I'll never regret my decision to go in, into academia because I wake up every morning and I don't dread going to work. In fact, I generally look forward to it. I love my interactions with students. Um, I love being able to research topics that then circle right back to that idea we talked about earlier of the application of what I'm learning. So I get to have lifelong learning and see the application, which is what I enjoy. Uh, I get to see my students go on and succeed. 
Um, I also always tell my students uh, the last week of class that this isn't the end of our journey. I want to be available to you as you move through your, through your career. So feel free to reach out when you run into um, you know problems that tie back to things we learned in class because I love getting to live somewhat vicariously through them and see how they're applying the material uh, that I teach them in class and then be able to help further them that next step in their, their journey through uh, whatever track they choose. All right, I'm gonna uh, transition to this, uh, we'll, uh, our fourth segment. Um, students get you in finance class, including advanced financial management. Uh, for a student that has not had you as a professor yet, what should they expect if they take your course? What is your philosophy of teaching? So I think some of it circles back to some of the things we've already been speaking about, right? So I love the idea of applying. So finance feels like a very theoretical, quantitative, step-by-step um, -step process type uh, discipline. And at its root, there is a lot of that, right? So in order to um, identify the net present value of a project, it is a step process, but realistically, when you use this in a corporate setting, it's much more than just applying an equation. There's an art to identifying the cash flows to include. There's a an art to interpreting um, what type of discount rate to use. There's an, uh, a subjective decision that needs to be made at the end of the day. And so I want my students to be able to come out understanding not just what the tools are that are at their disposal, but also how to apply those tools. So. But the analogy I like to give my students is that um, when they take my course, they come in with a, a tool belt, right? And for some students, it's completely empty when it comes to finance. And others have had a couple finance courses and have some tools. And my hope is that I continue to add new tools to that tool belt, but also that I start giving them the thought process of how to apply those tools. And so uh, I want them be, to be able to think through and say, not only does this apply to you know, CAPM or IRR or whatever topic we've talked about, but here's how I would then take the step to apply that in a realistic sense. And so I always also give them the discussion of your boss is never going to walk up to your desk and set a piece of paper down with Dr. one of Dr. Walkup's written word problems exactly the way it was in class, but with the numbers changed, right? If it was, it'd be really easy. We'd go back, we'd pull up our old Excel file, change the numbers and submit a response. Uh, but really what they're going to do is they're going to say, we need you to calculate X or we need you to make a decision on Y. And then your role is to say, what were those tools that I now understand? And how do I go about getting the inputs to those tools so that I can apply them? Because it's not going to be laid out of, you know, here's the discount rate. Here's cash flow one, cash flow two. Right. And so there is a, a gap that a lot of students come out of school with where they understand the equations, but they don't understand how to apply them. And while I can't prep students for every scenario in which they're going to have to apply them, if I help build those critical thinking skills a little bit of how they work, then we can get them to a point where hopefully they're able to make those connections and be more successful in their career. Excellent. Dr. Walkup, um, we are about to wrap up our time together. What message would you like to give and share with the Crummer community today? So I think one piece of advice I'd like to kind of leave everyone with is that uh, being a part of the business world is a lifelong learning opportunity. And there's also a need for lifelong learning as you go about it. Things change over time. Um, and there's always, no matter how much we know, there's always gaps that we can fill. 
And so one reminder I'd like to give, you know, our alumni or our current students as they move out or anyone else associated at all with the Crummer program is that the faculty that are here love the opportunity to stay in contact with you as you move forward. And so I think my, my kind of final piece of advice would just be to stay connected and use Crummer as part of that lifelong learning and then allow us to be part of the lifelong learning from you as well as you pick up uh, bits and pieces throughout your career. Yeah, uh, I'm in full agreement. It's exactly as you said. Um, it's not just a classroom experience. It is a lifelong learning experience. So it's important to stay in touch. Um, Dr. Brian Walkup, thanks so much for joining us on Crummer Connections and sharing your story. Thank you, JB. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon with another episode. Today's show is brought to you by the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. Now is a great time to consider enhancing your career success by pursuing an advanced degree in business. And the Crummer School offers a variety of educational programs to help you become a global, innovative, responsible business leader. To learn more about the programs and the application process, go to crummer.rollins.edu. The Crummer Graduate School of Business, experience excellence. Crummer Connections podcast series is a production of Victor Media Group. It's the mission of Victor Media Group to make the world a better place by making ourselves better people. If you like this show, please follow us on your favorite social media platform. Today's show was created and hosted by J.B. Adams and executive produced by Gerard Mitchell with production assistance by Kyle Sawyer and audio design by Aaron Trinka. Our gratitude goes out to Mike Brown and Loveland Finley in alumni relations for their gracious help and support. Until next time, Fiat Lux.